a journey of faith. You may have heard the statement before many times, probably. A journey of faith. It is a process. It is a journey. It is not a destination. For what I am looking at today, that journey of faith starts the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. And it won't end until we're in His very presence. Our faith, our faith journey. And it's interesting how along that path it is so unpredictable, our journey of faith. You know, if you picture it as a road or a highway, man, it would be so nice if it was nothing but just smooth sailing. Just nice and flat and straight. But I think everybody could attest to the fact that there are many, many curves, some of them very sharp. There are some hills. And there are some declines that are almost treacherous. Some of those hills, we wonder if we can get up to the top of that hill as we go on this journey of faith. And, and it can be hard. It can be hard to even believe and understand the promises that God has for us, even though we know up here in our head that they're true. But when the curbs come or the hills come, it's disturbing to say the least, challenging. Opportunities for our faith in God, our trust in God, our confidence in God to occur. Matter of fact, sometimes I think there are things that even if we knew ahead of time, even if we knew ahead of time, Somebody could explain to us what's going to happen. We would probably oftentimes think, this is so crazy, there's no way I can believe this. No way. And I'm going to be sharing some from some of the characters in what we call the Christmas story this morning. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to, uh, Lord willing, read a small article written by a lady a number of years ago about journeys of faith. Believing what the Lord says, believing the Word. You know, can you imagine, going back to the Christmas story for a moment, can you imagine if there was a king and in his kingdom and all of a sudden the prince, a prince, was going to be born. And the king gathered around him all of his advisors and he asked his advisors, what's the very best way that we could announce this and we could celebrate the birth of this prince? And all of his advisors came up with all these crazy ideas. Nowadays, it would probably be things like a new Facebook page and we'll start tweeting like crazy and all of those things. But whatever ideas they came up with, the king's listening and he's attentive because he wants it to really, really resonate throughout the land. But then he notices one of his advisors just sitting there quietly. Hasn't said a word. And the king looks over and he says, how about you? What would you suggest? And this advisor looks at him and says, well, king, I would suggest that we send a messenger out into the wilderness in the middle of the night and find a group of lowly shepherds and tell them the message and just see where it goes from there. And you would think, okay, all of us connecting it to the Christmas story would say, well, We know God does everything for a purpose. We know His ways aren't our ways. But God, even for you, this sounds really stupid. There's got to be a better way to announce that the prince, in our case, the king of kings, 
has been born. And we're going to look at some of the people and how they responded, but I just want us to keep in the back of our minds, sometimes we have a story or an announcement like this that we are called to share with the world, right? We are to go into all the world, make disciples, sharing the gospel message, sharing the good news, sharing the hope, the joy, the love of Jesus Christ with people. And if we sit back and think about it for a moment, and we go to a, just a, a typical unbeliever and tell them the story of how they can find joy and peace and hope and, matter of fact, eternal life, we tell them the story and they're going to look at us like, what are you talking about? There's no way that you can really possibly believe that, is there? And the reality is, a lot of them won't. You know, when confronted with the truth of the Word of God, it's amazing how differently people react and respond. If you've ever shared the truth of the Word of God, if you've ever shared the gospel message with anybody, you can attest to the fact that oftentimes it is really hard to predict how it's going to be received and how those people are going to respond. We don't know. Sometimes some people respond to the truth with excitement, with a hope, with joy, with an enthusiasm. There's a hunger for what you're sharing with them. On the flip side of that, some people respond with sarcasm, anger, name-calling, rejection, all of these things. Different responses to the same words, the same truth. So we're going to look at a few people in the Scriptures and in what we call the Christmas story and look at their journey of faith and how it begins. Now, we can always get in trouble if we let our imaginations go too far, but I want you to try today to imagine each one of these individuals and realize they're just people, just people. Trying to do life, doing what they were supposed to do. And then all of a sudden, God speaks. And whatever journey of faith they were on, it certainly takes a very sharp turn. We're going to start out with Mary. Logical place to start. Mary encounters Gabriel. Now, I don't really know exactly what Gabriel looks like, but in my mind, he's a dude. He's a big deal. And if you read the story a little bit, you'll see one of the first things it says is God sends Gabriel to this virgin Mary, and he goes to deliver a message, and then it says, and coming into, and I'm thinking, my mind right away goes, holy cow, Mary, this young gal, however old she was, probably not very old, she's probably in the house doing whatever chores she would be doing, doing whatever she would do on a normal day. And all of a sudden, here is Gabriel coming into her house. And he says, Hail, Mary. Think about it. What would you do? Hail, Mary, favored one. The Lord God is with you. I would be really glad to hear that, that's for sure. You know, and it's interesting when he when the Gabriel comes and he says, Hail. If you look at that word, it is absolutely an an aspect of that word that means rejoicing, excitement, enthusiasm. It's almost in my mind like Gabriel understands what God is launching. And he comes and says, Hail Mary, and with a rejoicing heart and excitement in his spirit about what God is going to do. And he says, Favored one, the one who is honored, one to whom God's grace is going to come. Hail Mary. Hail. Favored one. 
wow, something's about to happen. And I'm sure Mary at that point was wondering what. And she's, it says in the story that she was troubled. And again, if you look at that word, it was, there was like, there's a, a, a perturb. She's kind of anxious. She's kind of bothered. And I'm thinking, that's it? <laughs> You're just a little troubled? Gabriel's standing in your house, assuming the roof is high enough. And she is troubled, and the angel, Gabriel, realizes this. And it also says she's pondering. <laughs> I think that would have to be one of the greatest understatements in the Scripture. Mary's pondering what's going on. And the angel recognizes this in Luke chapter 1, verse 30. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Man, just look at all of those things that are in that verse. And if you're Mary processing it, you probably didn't get past the very first part. Because she obviously didn't, because she says, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How can this be? Think about the rest of the questions you might have when this angel is telling you that you're going to have a son. He's going to be the child, the son of God. He's going to be a king, and he's going to rule, and he's going to rule forever and ever. My goodness. How shall this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answers her very clearly, and starting in verse 35, the angel answered her and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, come to you. Now, we need to think about this. We have a whole different relationship and thoughts about the Holy Spirit. As New Testament Christians, saved by grace, through faith, we know that the Holy Spirit indwells us. He lives inside of us. He's there all the time for us. Not so before Pentecost. In the Old Testament, see, when God wanted to do something through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone. When it was done, He would leave. So the understanding of the Holy Spirit causes me to wonder. But it says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High, God, will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son in her old age, and she was who was called barren is now in her sixth month. Like God through the angel's message is saying, I know this sounds crazy, but remember Elizabeth? She's really old. She's pregnant. The next words in that verse, nothing's impossible for God. Building her faith, preparing her for the journey of faith that she was about to embark on. It says nothing's impossible with God, Mary said. And this is the, whole, the most important thing in this whole thing as far as I'm concerned. Behold, the bond slave of the Lord May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed. May it be done to me according to your word. I'm your bondservant. I am a voluntary slave. I am laying my life down for you to use however you want it to use it, even though I have no idea where this is going. My mind is racing 100 miles an hour. What's everybody going to think? What's my fiance Joseph going to think? What are they going to do to me as this sweet Jewish girl who's pregnant and never been married? All of these things stirring in her mind, and yet all she says is, I'm in. Whatever you want, I'm here. 
her faith and confidence in God had already been established to a degree. When the Word of God came, it fell on good soil. You know, I really believe it's important for us to know, as Christians especially, to know and be in the Word, knowing the Word of God, understanding the character of God as best we can, so that when we, we hear this Word or when there comes a real curve in the road or a, a steep hill that we're going to have to climb, that there is some foundation in our soil that it's good soil. So when this curve comes, we're ready. We're not ready for what comes, but our trust in God is ready. We're ready for the journey. It's a journey of faith. Her head and her heart obviously had been prepared in some way. Mary willingly begins a different journey of faith. Willingly. On the flip side, we see Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. Now, Mary at least had a personal visitation by an angel. That would have been hard to absorb. But if I'm Joseph and I have a dream, and in this dream an angel of the Lord comes to me and tells me all these ridiculous, crazy things, I'm going to wake up in the morning and say, I'm never going to eat that pizza again. How could he, in a dream, I would think it would be natural to question, can this possibly be true? Can this possibly be? We see right away in the story that he's a righteous man. He was a man who had faith already. Righteous man. <clears throat> Excuse me. But he, we see in early in the, well, I'm going to go ahead and read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. But when he had considered this, the word that the angel came telling him that, guess what? Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Child she's going to have, son of God. In Matthew 20, 25, but when he had considered this, considered what? I left this out of the story. He's a righteous man and he hears this from the angel and his first thoughts were, <laughs> i got to divorce this woman. She's pregnant. Mary's came to him, obviously, and told him that she's pregnant. Whatever she told him and how it happened, I have no idea. The angel figured he better come and try to fill in the blanks. But as a righteous man, he, he honored Mary, loved Mary evidently, and he was going to just divorce her secretly. In those days, an engagement or a betrothal was almost like being married. You had to have a letter of divorce. But the angel come and says to them, when he had considered this divorce, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until Jesus was born. Again, we see his heart. Good soil. Here comes this Message from an angel in a dream. The angel even quotes Old Testament prophecy to reinforce what he's saying. And Joseph, without any indication to us, without a second thought, immediately says, I'm in too. I'm all in. A journey of faith. I don't think this is what he had expected. 
when he finally was betrothed to Mary, I'm sure he had plans. He had plans for his own life. He had plans for his wife and their life together. Probably had plans for their family that they wanted to have, the children that they were going to have. I'm sure they had all these plans. And now all of a sudden, he's going to have a pregnant wife in this little town of Nazareth where rumors spread really fast. Little towns are like that. What's everybody going to say? How's this going to look? Nobody's going to believe this. Nobody. But immediately he says, I'm in. A journey of faith. The road took a twist and a turn that I'm sure there is no way, no way he saw coming. The next group I want to mention just briefly is the shepherds. And I'm not going to go into much detail in these stories because I hope they're pretty familiar. But the shepherds, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord showed round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, today, that very day, in the town of Bethlehem, the town of David our Savior, has been born to you. David, a Savior, has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in the manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to men on whom His favor rests. Once again, their lives as shepherds, whatever kind of shepherds they are, wherever sheep they're watching, whatever they're doing around a campfire at night, if they had already fallen asleep, they're certainly startled and awakened. But they're just shepherds out in the middle of the pastures in the hills around Bethlehem. Their lives were probably pretty predictable. Probably were pretty content with their lot in life. Probably things were going relatively smoothly. And all of a sudden, something happens. Angel of the Lord is standing before them. And the, and the shepherd's response, once again, I hope we all see the pattern. No matter what the turn looks like, whatever looks the hill looks like, their response was one of obedience. Obedience to the Word of God. The shepherd's response, let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. As I shared a little bit of a Christmas Eve. Can you imagine? I mean, if that was us around a campfire out by the lake or in the park, wherever you go camping, and all of a sudden this happens to you, and when the angel leaves and the heavenly choir is gone and you start looking at each other and like, am I the only one that saw that? And then now what are we going to do with this? And then we discussed it till 3, 4 in the morning and finally we decided let's just go to bed and see what happens in the morning. No, none of that. Immediately, the shepherds are excited. They just heard something that Jews had been waiting to hear for centuries. That that day, the Messiah had been born and it had been born within just a few miles of where they were at. Let's go see. Let's check it out. Let's see this thing that has happened. In verse 17 of chapter 2, it says, And when they had seen this, they made 
knowing the statement which had been told them about this child. They didn't care what people were going to think. They didn't care at all. They believed the Word, and they went, and they saw, and their joy was overflowing. Their enthusiasm. Ever, ever seen a new Christian get just a little carried away? First thing us mature Christians do is go to them and say, Hey, calm down. Don't make a fool of yourself. It'll, it'll go away a little bit as you're more mature. Cal, are we stupid as mature Christians? We should be looking at them and see the, feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit all over us to be that excited about the things of God. They, according to the Scripture here, says they saw it, they heard it, and they took off and told anybody and everybody they could possibly find what they had heard. And what had they heard? That the Messiah had been born that night. They didn't care who was going to laugh at him. They didn't care who was going to call him foolish and stupid. They didn't care because it was real, because they heard the Word of God. They heard the truth. It didn't matter what journey they had plotted out for their lives. Now it changed. And here we are 2,000 years later still talking about these shepherds. Amazing. A willing journey of faith. The wise men or the magi. We're pretty familiar with the story. We're familiar with the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh. We're familiar with them finally arriving in Jerusalem and asking questions like, where is this one who is born born king of the Jews? And we see what happens when this happens to them or when they start speaking these words. But I want you to think about them for just a minute. How did they know? Well, we don't know for sure. They may have studied the early scriptures of the Jewish people. They may have been influenced about during the time when a lot of Israel was was dispersed into Babylon or the Assyrians under the judgments of God. We don't know, but we do know they knew. And they were looking for something. And when they saw it, they responded. They were waiting. They were hoping. They were watching. Lesson for us to learn there. Man, we need to be looking for what God is doing in the midst of this journey of faith. We won't understand it. Don't get me wrong. We won't probably understand it. But He's doing something. We need to be watching, hoping, waiting for what it is God's going to do. So when we see or have an indication, we are ready to go all in with faith in our journey of faith. Think about these wise men, these magi. Obviously, we guess or assume they had some wealth. And they were probably rallying their servants to, to load up the camels. Go, we're going to get the frankincense and the gold and the myrrh. We're going to load up the camels. We're taking off. Oh, yeah, great. Where are we going? I don't know where we're going. How are we going to know where to go? Well, we're going to follow a star. You're going to do what? You're going to follow how far? We don't know. How long will it take? Uh, don't know. Can you imagine? These probably weren't the only wise men or the only magi. Can you imagine what their peers were thinking? What is wrong with you guys? You're going to load up your camels and you're going to take off because you saw a star in the sky. Why are you going to do this? We're going to do this to worship Him. We're going to worship Him. That's why we're doing it. To worship Him. The gold, the frankincense, the myrrh, to worship Him. We're going to find Him and we're going to bow down and we're going to worship Him. No matter where this takes us, 
No matter how long, no matter the troubles get in the way, I'm going to worship Him. That's why we're doing this whole thing, is to worship Him. Period. As soon as they saw the star, they responded. Once again, whatever their background, whatever their understanding, there was some sort of fertile soil, and they knew it was the king of the Jews. And they left. And then, we just want to throw in King Herod. King Herod. When we get to Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, we see the reaction of King Herod, and then we'll back up just a little. In chapter 2, verse 16, he has been told about this king of the Jews being born. He tried to con the Magi into coming back and telling him so he could go worship him. But in this verse, we see his plan. He was going to send his troops to the area of Bethlehem and slaughter every child, every male child under the age of two. That's how he responded. Let's look at a little bit of the story in Matthew 2, starting in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived to Jerusalem and saying, Where is he who was born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, it says he was troubled. And interestingly, it also says, And all Jerusalem with him was troubled. Keep in mind, the event that's being talked about is about four, maybe five miles, maybe an hour, two-hour walk from where they're at. And they're troubled. And he says, gathering together all of the chief priests and the scribes, the religious leaders and the scribes, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they tell him. They say, They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophets. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod heard this, and he did not receive it well, to say the least. We know about him sending his troops to slaughter all these baby boys under the age of two. He absolutely wasn't ready to receive the Messiah. Why not? Well, with a little history of his life, we can come to kind of some assumptions that would be based on fact. It challenged him. It challenged his position. It challenged his lifestyle. And it challenged his power. When I read those things and I think about that, I think of how many of us before we were saved and how many of the unsaved that we might try to share the good news of the gospel with, they are challenged by their position, their lifestyle, their power. And they want to hang on to their lifestyle. They want to hang on to their position. They want to hang on to their power. Herod was so paranoid about losing his power. This is a man who had three of his own sons murdered because he was afraid that they were going to try to carry out a coup and take over his kingship. When he heard the words from his own scribes and chief priests, he chose to totally 
ignore them in the terms of getting excited and going to see. Remember, and, and I give him, I, he's no worse off than the chief priests and the scribes. Think about that for a second. The chief priests and the scribes who knew the Word of God, knew where the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, knew that it's just a little bit more than a four or five mile hike up a little hill to go see the Messiah, and we have no indication whatsoever that any of them went anywhere. The religious leaders didn't want to give up their lifestyle, their power, their authority, their wealth. So the Word of God came. There was no faith. It died there. King Herod. Not a one of faith, a journey. When we look at these, Mary and Joseph overcoming fear, regardless of what people might say, immediately responded. The shepherds, likewise, dropped everything and went. The wise men packed up their camels and off they went for who knows how long to nowhere. They had no idea where. But then there's Herod. When we talk about a journey of faith, and remember, if you've accepted Christ your Savior, you're on one. When we talk about a journey of faith, we don't know where it's going to go. We can look into the Old Testament and see some of those Old Testament saints like Daniel. Man, his journey of faith took a few sharp turns. David took more than a few sharp turns. We come to the New Testament, we can look at the journey of faith of the Apostle Paul. We can look at Stephen, all of a sudden it took a turn and he's being stoned, killed for the truth, for the Word of God. And we could go through almost all of the disciples. We could go through all of the disciples and look at their journey of faith and it wasn't always smooth sailing. When we look at these journeys of faith, I want to bring it more home to us. And this is where I say it doesn't all fit together this morning. But when I read this, I was really impacted by it this morning. It's a little article called A Faith Journey, and it's written by a, a woman by the name of Emily Nerland. So in here, she's going to make reference to some of her own personal things, which is we could all fill in those blanks. But I just want to read it. As a Christian, each day is an opportunity for me to examine my own faith journey. It is a time to pray. It's a time to study. It's a time to reflect. It's a time to grow in my relationship with God. Each day is an opportunity to follow Jesus. Not my own wishes. Not my own desires. My faith journey is a journey of gratitude. It's a life of ongoing dependence upon God. It's a journey of thanksgiving, praising God for joy and abundant love and His steadfast presence in times of sorrow, despair, and fear. Like any journey, the road is a difficult road to predict. I like to visualize my faith journey like a long road. There are straightaways, sharp curves, steep hills. There are frightening descents. There's rocky spots, wondrous views, potholes, and detours. 
My faith journey has had, like most people, a mixture of conditions. It's meaningful for me as a Christian to reflect, where would I be today without God's presence during the sharp curves, the frightening descents? Where would I be in all these things that I've experienced? I have, like a weary, terrified traveler, called out his name. My parents' divorce, my father's suicide, a child's illness, a diagnosis of breast cancer. These events and many others have had me calling for God's presence and power. There have been days of great sadness, pain, and fear. But I knew that God was with me. He was missed me through the support and love of friends and family. He guided me with stories of men and women in the Bible. Remembrances that others too had survived difficult experiences. He blessed me with solitude through prayer. He surrounded me with his presence when I was too frightened or too angry or too distraught to even pray. My God has walked with me when the journey was difficult to travel. As I reflect, it is equally important to ask, where would I be without God's presence during the straightaways? and the high peaks of life. He has heard my cries of thanksgiving and of joy, delight in loving my husband, joy in parenting our children, the awe of a new day's sunrise, the beauty of a child's discovery, the blessings of dear friends. God will be my guide whether the journey is difficult or easy. He will continue to bless me with an abundance of friends and the joy of family. He will uphold me in sorrow. He will quench my thirst for knowledge and fill my days with challenges. As I journey through life, God will refresh me through His Word, through His people, and through His presence. We all are on a journey. They're never going to be straight all the time. There's going to be all kinds of twists and turns and bumps and potholes in the road. The key is, where are we looking and how are we responding in that journey? Keeping our eye on the Lord, trusting in Him. Realizing if we believe what we say we believe, He already knows the end from the beginning. As we get in line with Him, follow Him, He'll never forsake us, He'll never leave us. Journey of faith. Started on that Christmas many years ago for those groups we talked about, but we are all on a journey of faith. Putting our trust in Him. Heavenly Father, I am so blessed by the knowledge of knowing that no matter where my journey of faith or our journey of faith takes us, You're going with us, You go before us, You're alongside of us, and You've got our back. Lord, I thank You for the people of God who manifest Your presence towards us with Your love, their encouragement, their prayers. We thank You for prayer that we, we can come to You knowing we are coming to a Father who desires good for His children. We thank You for Your Word, all the powerful, powerful promises of Your Word. I pray for each one of us here as we are on this journey of faith, wherever it is we are at in this journey. God, we would never lose sight of the fact that You're there with us. And it's a journey to build trust and faith in you.
especially when we can't see where the next curve leads us. Father, it is such a blessing, such a blessing to know the peace of God, joy that we can have, the love that you have for us always, even when we don't understand. I pray, God, that each of us would look to you in every situation. In Jesus' name.